right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Great to have you with us today. Happy deer hunting opener to you, also known as the weekend Jason Strand speaks every year. <laughs> I actually shouldn't say that. Our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, did speak on the deer hunting opener last year, but he whined so much about it that nobody wanted that again, and so I'm back. Uh, I remember when I was hired a little over nine years ago, I still remember the interview where they asked me, do you hunt? And when I said no, there was these excited glances around the room, and you could kind of tell what they were thinking. We got our guy. So if you've ever wondered, how in the world did you get that job? Now you know how it all happened. Hey, before I dive in, a few of you have asked us if we're going to address the upcoming election, and specifically the issues that should influence your vote. Our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, has written a statement. It was originally for the Star Tribune, but we're going to post that on our website, and it's very well written and explains our position quite well. But I will say this. Our hope has been and always will be in Jesus Christ. It has never been in a political candidate. Our hope has never been in a political party. It has always been in Jesus Christ. And so no matter who wins on Tuesday, we believe that God is in control Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, and he promises to be good to those who trust him. Amen? Amen, yes. So, you don't have to move to Canada, okay? We're, we're not opening Eagle Brook, Canada anyway, so let's all just stay here where we can go to church together. All right. This weekend, uh, we are in the second week of a series called One Life, because God would leave everything behind to go after the one life. If you stumbled into church today, like I did 19 years ago, and you feel lost and you wonder what God thinks about you, I just have to tell you, Jesus Christ loves you. He's crazy about you. He absolutely wants a relationship with you. That's why our church has always been about the one life. We've always been about the one son or daughter, the one mom or dad, the one neighbor, friend, or coworker who needs more of God in their life. It's why we exist as a church. And so last weekend, Bob talked about our vision as a church and where we're going over the next couple of years. If you missed that for some reason, I would highly encourage you to give it a listen online. This week's message is titled One-Tenth, and before I explain what that means, I want to begin by asking a question. Who do you trust who is that person or people that when you look at them, you go, oh, I trust that person. I would trust them with my life. That's a really important question. Because if you trust the wrong person, you could be in for a fall. My 11-year-old son, Micah, has been running cross-country this past fall. And so recently, he was downstairs on the treadmill practicing when all of a sudden, my 4-year-old son, Jasper, walked downstairs and he goes, Micah, can I run on the treadmill? Now here's a general rule of thumb. If you can't pronounce treadmill, you don't get to run on one. <laughs> but Micah didn't know that rule, and so he's like, yeah, sure, Jasper, come on. And so he started him out at a speed of four, and Jasper was doing just fine. So then he popped him up to a speed of five, and then to a speed of six. Now just to give you an idea of how fast that is, when I run on the treadmill, I run at a speed of seven or eight, and I'm running. So six is crazy fast for a little four-year-old's legs. But somehow Jasper was keeping up. And so Micah goes, Jasper, I'm going to bump you up to a speed of seven. I'll catch you if you fall. <laughs> Famous last words. 
technically he did catch Jasper, but not until a treadmill mark was tattooed across his forehead. When I came home from work, it looked like Jasper had been in a bar fight. I mean, his eye was swollen, skin hanging off his nose, and you could see these treadmill marks all the way down his forehead. And of course, Jasper cried for a couple of minutes, and then he looked at Mike and he goes, I want to try again. <laughs> boys, right? For those of you who are parents of boys, that's pretty much how it goes. But here's my question, who do you trust? That's an important question for those of us on the treadmill of life, because there's no shortage of people telling us, hey, I'll catch you if you fall. For example, take your money. Who do you trust when it comes to your money? Some of us might say, well, I trust my bank account. I trust my stocks and Wall Street. I trust my 401k. I trust my social security or my pension plan. That's who's going to catch me if I fall. And those are all good things. But I want to show you a verse from the Bible. And if you're rather new to the Bible or kind of new to church, I just want you to consider if you think this verse is true or not. Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your harvest. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, of course, this was originally written to an agricultural society. So you see words like harvest and barns. But if we were to translate this to our culture today, it might read something like this. Trust the Lord with your money and the first part of your paycheck. And then you will always have plenty. Here's my question for you. Do you believe that? Do you trust God when he says that? God says, if you will put me first in all areas of your life, including your finances, then you'll always have plenty. You'll never be in need. Notice he doesn't say that he's going to make us rich. He doesn't say he's going to take all of your problems away in life. But he says, I'll care for you. I will catch you if you fall. And this is so important because for many of us, money is a constant source of tension. Never seems to be enough of it, and it is the number one stressor in your life. Wouldn't it be something if you could be set free from that? Others of us say, you know what, money's not so much of a stressor in my life, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of things in the future that I would like to get. And I figure if I give my money to God, well then, what about my kid's college education? And what about my retirement? I mean, I don't want to be working when I'm 75. And what about that cabin or that second home that we've been hoping to buy? And I get that. And no one is immune from that kind of feeling. But here's what this comes down to. Will you trust God? Will you put him first, not just in some areas of your life, but in every area of your life, including your finances? Now, I realize that whenever we talk about money in church, some of us get a little bit uncomfortable. You might even get a little bit upset, and you might be thinking, oh, I knew it. The church just wants my money. You know, I've been coming here for three or four months. It's been great. They've never really talked about money, but here we go. And I get that. My blood boils when I see prosperity preachers on TV. But here's the deal. Out of the 38 parables or stories that Jesus told, 16 of them related to money. That's more than heaven and hell combined. In other words, Jesus thought this was an important topic for us to address. So here's the question I want to raise today. How do you put God first in your finances? Well, the Bible gives a one-word answer, and the one word is tithe. 
A tithe means a tenth. Hence the title of this message, One-Tenth. Look at what it says in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27. It says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Now, if you're the Bible scholar type, you might be thinking, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. Did Jesus ever affirm the tithe in the New Testament? Actually, he did in Luke 11. Verse 42, Jesus says this, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Notice those first three words, you should tithe. That's pretty straightforward. So what is a tithe? Well, before I explain what a tithe is, let me say what a tithe is not. First of all, a tithe is not charity. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, I give some of my tithe to the church but then I give the rest of it to organizations or causes that I believe in. So a college, a hospital, a child sponsorship, and those are all great things. But in the New Testament, the tithe or the offering always went to the local church. All those examples that I just gave you are examples of giving that is above and beyond the tithe. Tithing is not the same as charity. Tithing also isn't giving. Sometimes we use those two terms interchangeably. People say, well, you know, I give to the church from time to time. But tithing isn't a once in a while kind of thing. Tithing isn't giving. So what is biblical tithing? Well, here's a very simple definition for you. Tithing is returning to God what belongs to God. Let me try to illustrate this for you. In my hand, I have 10 $10 bills. So I have $100. You, this, let's say that God has given you $100. Some of you say, well, when did God ever give me $100? Well, God gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you a brain and an intellect. He gave you arms and legs and muscle strength. He gave you the ability to earn every dollar that you've ever earned. Everything belongs to God. And so God says, hey, everything belongs to me. But I'm going to give you this $100. It belongs to me already, but here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you would return the first 10% to me to demonstrate that I am first in your life in all areas of your life. You can use the other 90% however you want, but the first 10% belongs to me. People say, well, okay, I, I get that. That's, that makes sense to me, but what about when the stakes get a little bit higher? See, in my hand right now, I have 10 $100 bills. I have never held this much cash in my hand in my entire life. I'm just close enough to being a millennial. I think I have a dollar or two in my wallet right now. If you're sitting in the front row, we're not going to make it rain, okay? So just settle down. But here's how it works. God says, hey, I'm going to give you $1,000. For some of you, God gives you $1,000 every day. That's your yearly salary. For others of you, it's $1,000 every week. But God says, I'm going to give you $1,000. It belongs to me, but I'm going to ask you to return the first 10% to me of your paycheck, of everything that you earn, to demonstrate that I am first in all areas of your life. You can spend the other 90% however you want, but the first 10%, I want you to return that to me. It really is that simple. Now, if you're tracking along a little bit, you might wonder, why doesn't God just give us 90%? I mean, why does he give us 100% and then ask us to give us 10% back to him? Why not just give us 90 and cut out the middleman? Well, here's why. 
Because it's never been about the money. It's always been about trust. It's always been about our heart. In fact, Jesus understood that money was the number one thing that would compete with God for your heart. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says, You can't serve both God and money. It is absolutely impossible. But why do you think he uses money as the example? He could have said, you can't serve both God and Buddha. That would have been true. He could have said, you can't serve both God and your own sinful desires. That also would have been true. Why does he single out money? It's because Jesus understood that money was the number one thing that would compete with God for our hearts. And so here's what I want to do today in our time left. I want to try to make the case for why you should return the first 10% of what you earn back to the Lord through the local church to further his work in this world. And I realize that for some of you, that sounds insane, and I have my work cut out for me. I realize that others of you, you've been giving 10% for years, and I just want to challenge you to prayerfully consider if God's asking, hey, why don't you stretch yourself this year? My wife and I have tried to increase our giving every year, and it has been one of the great joys of our faith to see how God has used that in our lives and in other people's lives. Proverbs 3, 9, once again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your harvest, and then your barns will be filled with plenty. I believe that. I have been trying to live that for the last 15 years of my life. I am absolutely convinced that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100. And I hope that by the end of this message, you're absolutely convinced of that as well. So three reasons to put God first in your finances. The first reason is this. God deserves to be first. I was listening to Pastor Robert Morris talk about this. And he said, you know, there are certain things that God cannot do. Have you ever thought about this before? There are certain things that God can't do. For example, God can't change. If God could change, he could become better, and God's already the best, so God can't change. Theologians call this the immutability of God. God can't think the way we think. God knows everything. He knows everything all at the same time. That thought blows our mind. It doesn't blow God's mind. In fact, nothing has ever occurred to God. God has never had a moment where he said, you know what I just thought of? Why didn't I think of that sooner? God has never experienced that before. Theologians call this the omniscience of God. Here's a final one. God cannot be second. He can't. By his very nature, he has to be first. Theologians call this the preeminence of God. That's why Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. In the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, there was a group of people who they had God in their life, he just wasn't first in every area of their life. They were bringing sacrifices to God, but they just weren't bringing God their best sacrifice. Look at what God says to this group of people. He says, when you bring blind animals, back then that was their offering to God, that was what they would bring to him. He says, when you bring blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? 
He says, try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord Almighty. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord Almighty. So here is this group of people, and they had good sheep, and they're like, let's keep that for ourselves. And, you know, that, that one over there, yeah, the one with three legs, you know, bah, he keeps running the trees. Let's, let's give that one to God, right? And God's going, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I see what you spend on yourself. Have you forgotten who I am? You wouldn't even give gifts like that to your governor. You wouldn't even give gifts like that to another human being. In other words, God is not interested in our leftovers. I did this illustration about a year and a half ago, but it's so good, and I love eating my favorite foods during a message. So I brought it back. This is a chicken wing. Can we all just agree, whether you're Republican or Democrat, that chicken wings are fantastic? Okay, can we, can we unite around something in this country? Chicken wings and bacon, I think, are our best bet. Okay, so this chicken wing represents all the financial provision that God has given to you in your life. And so here's what a lot of us do. We go, oh, Lord, thank you. This is fantastic. I got a mortgage I got to pay. And, um, you know, God, I got a car payment. And got to eat, right? God's got to eat, really. And uh, I got to save up for retirement. And I got life insurance, you know, in case something bad happens. And I need to get cable TV. They're my shows. They're not his shows or her shows. They're my shows. I feel a sense of ownership, God. And, uh, and I want to eat out, you know. And so well, here's what we do. We just spend and spend and spend on ourselves. And then at the end of all of that, we go, oh, oh, um, here, God. That's crazy. Hold on one second. That was a little drier than the one we had last night. I'm just going to wait because this is actually going to be a pretty serious point here. So I just have to <laughs> give it a second. Now, that's crazy. But what's even more crazy is that there are some people who think that God is up in heaven and he's going, oh, thank you. There's still some meat on that one. That's what the people of Malachi's day thought. They thought, you know, let's just spend whatever we want on ourselves, and then if we have anything left over at the end, we'll give that to God. I want you to see how God speaks to these people. He says this, I wish that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. God says, don't even open up the doors. Don't turn on the lights. Don't fire up the central heating and the air. Don't rehearse the worship team. I would rather you not even gather than offer me a sacrifice like that. I remember reading that for the first time as a new Christian, and I was shocked. I thought God would be happy with my leftovers. I thought he would be happy that I was giving anything at all. The reality is God wants our first and our best. He rewards our first and our best. He deserves our first and our best. Second reason to give to God first and put him first in your finances is heaven, not earth, is your ultimate home. Look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew. 
He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Why? He says, well, they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves can break in and steal. Instead, he says, store up your treasure in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. In 1992, a group of college students from Concordia University right here in Moorhead, Minnesota, traveled to Israel on an archaeological dig. And they were in the town of Caesarea, which is right next to Jerusalem. It's a town that Jesus spent a fair amount of time in. And while they were there digging, they discovered a box that had 99 gold coins in it. Can you imagine? They dated these coins back to the time of Jesus Christ, so A.D. 30. Here's this guy in A.D. 30 who saves up 99 gold coins, which was an absolute fortune back then, puts them in a box and stuffs it under his bed, and now it's being discovered thousands of years later. Don't you wonder what he was saving up all that money for? I mean, maybe he was going, you know, when I get to 100 gold coins... I'm going down to the dealership, and I'm not getting last year's model. No, I'm getting this year's model. Not rented, not leased. I am pulling the trigger, baby. I am buying me a brand new donkey. And that thing is going to kick some donkey. I'm going to go down the main drag in Jerusalem, and the legs of that donkey are going to be so short it's going to be the lowest riding donkey in all of Jerusalem. And the hooves on that thing, man, I'm going to have custom-made hooves. They're going to be 12 inches and spin backwards while I'm riding on my donkey. And then he died and left all that money behind. Even if he had spent the money and gone and gotten a donkey or something else, that would have been long gone as well. It just reinforces what Jesus says. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. He says, that's not very wise. You're going to be on earth for 70 or 80 years. You're going to be in eternity for millions upon millions of years. He says, don't store up all of your treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves can break in and steal. He says, instead, store up your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. When John Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men who has ever lived, when he passed away, they asked his accountant, they said, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? Without missing a beat, the accountant said, all of it. Friends, you don't take anything with you. All of the clothes that you have in your closet will be eaten up by moths, all of your electronics and gadgets, the iPhone 7, the flat screen TV, the car, the boat, it will all end up in a junkyard someday. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have those things. But it should serve to remind us that the goal of life is not to end up with the most stuff or the most nice stuff. The goal may be, in fact, the exact opposite. In fact, let me ask you, five minutes after you die, what will you wish that you would have spent your money on? I'm guessing you will have wished that you had spent it on something that will have an eternal impact, that you will have stored up treasures in heaven. Because you can have a full storage unit, you can have a full basement, you can have a full garage, and still have an empty heart. It's because heaven, not earth, is your ultimate home.
third reason to put God first in your finances is this. Your life will overflow. Now, I have to be really careful on this point because there's a teaching floating around Christianity known as the health and wealth gospel. And the health and wealth gospel says that if you have enough faith, if you will speak words of faith and believe it to be true, well, then God will give you health and wealth. You'll get the promotion. You'll get everything that you had ever hoped for. They conveniently forget the fact that Jesus Christ was homeless and killed on a cross. That's not real healthy and wealthy. They breeze over the idea that Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, and left for dead three times. He, too, did not have a lot of money. Very simply, this is a false teaching. It preys on desperate people who see some charlatan on TV tell them that if you give money to our organization, well, then you're going to have health and wealth, and all of your problems are going to go away. All of this gets cloaked in really spiritual language. Holy water. Sow a seed for $100, and you'll get $1,000 back. You sow a $500 seed, you're going to reap $5,000 back. The great scandal in all of this is that it takes our eyes off of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, and it turns God into some cosmic genie in heaven who just wants to make you healthy and wealthy. It's a disgusting distortion of the gospel. But having said that, I do want you to know that there are many verses in the Bible that indicate that when you give, you will receive. Look at a few of these with me. Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, if you give, you will receive. Your gift will be returned to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. The best picture I can give you of this verse is me filling up an icy at Target. I love ICs. Blue raspberry is the best flavor. But Target does not allow refills. You get one shot at this and you better not blow it. And so when I fill up an icy, I press it down. I shake it together a little bit. And by the time I'm done, it's overflowing out of the little hole in the top. Jesus says that's what happens when you give. When you give, you receive. But you don't just receive back what you gave. Oh no, what you receive back is pressed down shaken together and overflowing into your life. Another translation of Proverbs 3, 9, the verse we've been looking at, says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything your land produces. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. There's that word overflow again. God is filling up this person's life with so much that nothing can contain it. He's filling his life up maybe with joy, with protection, with peace, with a sense of God's provision, but it's just overflowing. Here's one final verse for you, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, if you bring the tithe, says the Lord Almighty. So notice the context. He's saying, if you bring the tithe, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. He says, test me in this. Let me prove it to you. Did you know that's the only verse in the Bible that says that we can test God? It's the only time where God says, hey, put me to the test on this. Start to tithe. Start to put me first in your finances and see if I don't just open up the window of heaven and pour out a blessing in your life. Last year, we did something called the 90-Day Challenge, where we brought a challenge to our church, and we said, for the next 90 days, 
Put God first in every area of your life and start to tithe 10% of everything that you earn. Hundreds of people signed up for this and God moved in their life. In fact, recently we brought a handful of them together out at our new Anoka campus. It's just being built and we wanted them to see where the money that they gave was going. And they had an opportunity to see the cross go up and we had a chance to interview some of them. Take a look at the side screens. Well, first of all, thank you all for coming. You're here tonight because you started giving at the 90 Day Challenge last year along with hundreds of other people in our church. And we wanted you to come here tonight to see this building because what you have given goes to this. This is what you're gonna be a part of. And uh, it's exciting for us to think about the fact that we are able to move into this building a year earlier than we anticipated. Uh, we're able to move into this building completely debt-free. And the building is the resource to reach people for Jesus Christ, see marriages change, see kids growing up knowing Christ, seeing a whole community hopefully change. As you drove down Highway 10, you're gonna see all sorts of new neighborhoods and developments and we just start to dream about the number of people who are gonna to come to faith in Jesus Christ here. So I decided to sign up for the 90 Day Challenge after Bob's message uh, last fall. Pastor Bob had talked about, um, you know, if you have your faith in God and Jesus, are you willing to trust him also with your finances and uh, build off of that. I signed up for the 90 Day Challenge because I felt God telling me, this is something that I want you to do. And I left that service that day and I thought, every time I get paid, I'm going to put my 10% out there. And that's exactly what I did. Never looked back. We trusted yeah. God with a lot of things, but we just, for whatever reason, we just Everything didn't trust him. Everything but finances. So it was like, okay, we're gonna give at least 10%. Why do you pray every day? Why do you read the Bible? This is just that next thing that's like, you know what, I'm giving back. Realizing, God, you have given me everything. When I signed up for this 90 day challenge, I just assumed it would be like, oh, okay, so here's another bill and here's just like another thing I'm responsible for. This is gonna probably add more weight on my shoulders. But it felt just the opposite. It just felt like all of a sudden, like all the things I've been carrying around for the last, you know, 10 years were in God's hands. Tithing has affected our faith quite largely because um, it was something that we didn't really do before. And so we are seeing these bigger changes that we probably wouldn't have seen before. And there's no way we could have done what we did without God. There's a God factor there. There's no other way to put it. When we started tithing, we felt the Holy Spirit start to speak to us in our lives. We could feel more guidance from God and we could feel Him prompting us to make major changes in our lives. You know, at the time we were struggling and you know, there were areas where we were pressed financially, but at the same time we realized it was a big important step to show our love for Christ. Well, I know for me wholeheartedly, it's been a great decision for myself. I wouldn't go into it expecting like, because I did this, like something equal or greater financially is gonna come back. It's not that way. I think the bigger impact comes from, you know, building that trust in your faith. People just wanna be part of something bigger. 
and looking back, I'm glad I made the decision to do it. And thinking about it now, I wish that I would have started even earlier. It's amazing to be a part of it, giving people that chance to discover Christ and, and go in a relationship with God is, I, th I think that's one, you know, one of the most special things that, that any money that we give could go to. I think being here and seeing what our tithing is producing and how many people's lives are going to be changed is incredible. So we drive by this place every day with the kids and it just feels like I just want to cry when I drive by it every time because I just think this is where my kids are going to go and what we're doing with this money is actually going towards something. The Bible tells us that the man who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much, regardless of what that is. And I think that we can trust giving to the church because it does go to something bigger than us. And if we can be trusted with little, then we can expect so much more in our lives. And I think that that's super special. You know, I just want to thank those of you who give. There's so many thousands of you who say, you know what, I, God, I want to put you first in my life. And when you watch a video like that, I hope you feel a great sense of pride for what God is doing through your giving and through your generosity in this place. Thank you to those of you who give on a regular basis. A couple of things stuck out to me that night. First of all, I was struck by how young the people were. Half the people there were younger than me. There was one couple in their early to mid-20s who were dating and they're not, they're not married, they, but they're not just attending this church. They're, they're owners. They're giving to this place. People say, you know, the church in America is dying. And I look that night and I say, boy, not with people like this. I talked to a dad who was in his mid-50s and he said, you know, I look down the aisle at church and I see my two 20-something-year-old kids with their spouse. And he said, you don't know what that does for me as a dad to be able to attend a church together as a family and have God speak into our family's life. The 90-day challenge was such a success last year, we wanted to offer it again. What if for the next 90 days you did what God asked? What if you trusted him with your money and put him first in your finances and you said, God, I am going to test you in this and see if God doesn't show up in your life. At the end of those 90 days, if you go, you know what, that was a huge mistake, we will give you your money back. That's the 90-day challenge piece of this. If there's something in your head that says, you know what, I don't trust this church. Churches are just out to get money. That's all that they want. I don't trust this church. If there's a voice in your head that says that, then I would say to you, give to a different church. And I don't say that out of spite or anger at all. I say it with all sincerity and genuineness. This isn't about our church. It's about releasing the grip of money from your heart. It's about storing up treasures in heaven. It's about putting yourself in a position where God can open up the windows and pour out a blessing in your life. You don't want to miss that. So find a church that you believe in that you can take ownership in and begin to tithe. If you say, you know what, there's no church like that. All churches just want our money and they're all corrupt. If you say that, here's what I would say. There is no perfect church, but that statement says more about your heart than anything else. In fact, none of our staff gets raises if this goes well. We don't work on commission or anything like that. We will use this money the same way we used it last time, to try to reach people for Christ around the Twin Cities. We will use it to try to reach that teenager who feels like there is no purpose to his or her life and they're contemplating taking it. We will use it to reach that person. We will re use it to reach that college student 
who's sitting in a classroom right now and going, oh, maybe there isn't a God. Maybe my professor is right. We will use it to speak to their heart and to their intellect to try to reach them for Jesus Christ. We will use it to reach that married couple who has young kids and they're really struggling at a stressful time of life. We will try to help them build a foundation upon Jesus Christ and leave a legacy with their kids and with their grandkids. We will use it to reach that neighbor, friend, or coworker of yours who needs God in their life and who's lost right now. That's what we will use it to do. Proverbs 3.9, once again, says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your harvest. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Here's my question. Do you believe that? Are you absolutely convinced that God can do more with a 90 than you can do with a 100? If you are, and you're not currently a person who's tithing and putting God first in your finances, as you leave today, we're going to hand out these little cards. And there's a website on here. It's eaglebrookchurch.com forward slash 90 day challenge. If you go on to that website, it will walk you through the whole process of how to start giving. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've been giving for several years. I would ask you, prayerfully consider this week, does God want to stretch you to give at a higher percentage? Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you want to store up treasures and use your money for something that will have an eternal and not just an earthly impact. If that's so, you can go on our website and do that as well. But prayerfully consider this week, God, what would it look like to put you first in every area of my life? Let's stand as we close in prayer together. God, I believe that you can do more with a 90 than we can do with a 100. I've experienced that in my own life of just the blessing that it truly you'd receive when you give, God. And I thank you that you are a God who gives to us so much and longs to pour out a blessing in our life that's just overflowing. Such a joy to get to follow and serve a God like that. Lord, I pray for those of us here who are not currently tithing that this week that we would have some time with you and, and that you would really speak to us about what does it mean to put you first in every area of our life, not just a few areas. And God, for those of us who are currently giving and tithing at 10%, Lord, I pray that we would have some time to talk to you as well. That maybe you want to stretch us and you want us to experience the joy of generosity, God, that comes when we give, not because we have to, but because we want to. And because we want to use this to reach more people for Christ. God, I pray for that person right now who might be in Lakeville or Minnetonka or some other part of the Twin Cities and they are lost and they need Jesus Christ in their life just like we needed you in our life at one point. God, would you expand our heart for that person? Would our church be able to reach that person for Christ? God, thank you and we pray for the Anoka campus right now the hundreds of people who live in Anoka and Ramsey and Elk River and Otsego. God, I pray it's not about that building, but that building is a vehicle to reach those people for Christ and they may experience what it's like to know you. God, we pray that you would move in a powerful way in our church and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.